Well, welcome to Q&A. If you're joining us live this morning, we would invite you to text in your questions from the service this morning. Numbers up on the screen. And if you're listening back later on our podcast, we are so glad you've decided to join us and would encourage everyone to subscribe to the CFC podcast wherever you listen. Uh, we drop new content on Sunday, on Sunday afternoons, and then sometimes during the week as well. So when you subscribe, you'll always get the latest uh, to know what's going on. So this morning, continuing through Ephesians, made alive and made alive for good works. Yes. So very encouraging this so. morning. Uh, and we have some questions that are coming, so we'll dive right in. Great. All right. First one, um, Christ said he only does what the Father tells oh. him to do. Are we capable of being that specifically aware of God's plan for our works? Excellent question. Um, first of all, kudos for knowing that that's what Jesus said. That comes from John 14. So uh, let me read that for us so we get some context. Um, it's at the upper room. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. And Jesus says... Have you been so long? Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? For you has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, "Show us the Father"? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does His works. So the reason I read that is because I wanted you to see that Jesus is demonstrating for them that the life he lived was an abiding one relationship with the Father. We can tend to uh, dismiss what Jesus did because we go, well, he was Jesus and I'm not. Sure. But he actually said, no, uh, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I'm abiding in him as he's abiding in me. That's crucial because... Uh, Next chapter or so, and literally, if you could put yourself in the moment of the upper room, maybe 10, 20 minutes later, having said, he only does what the Father tells him to do, he's abiding in the Father, then he says to the disciples, I am the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So, uh, long answer, long, well, foundation for the answer is, it was the intent of Jesus that as he was about to leave, because he, of course, is after he's arrested that night, crucified the next day. He is saying, I want to have a relationship with you like you, like I have a relationship with the Father. The question, that's the foundation. The question is, can we be that attentive? Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, can we? I want to I be honest and acknowledge that uh, the scripture says, rightly so, that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet did not sin. The difference between Jesus and you and I is Jesus, though born of a woman, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he did not have a sin nature. He was not born with a sin nature like you and I were born with a sin nature. So my sin nature is redeemed in Christ. Uh, 
my slavery to sin has been broken. But the flesh still tempts me. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I still live in this body. I still have a mind that wants its own way. I still have desires, a flesh that wants its own way. And so, can I be, I I'm, I'm just want to be super careful here. Sure. Can I be that sensitive? I'm going to say, yes, I can be that sensitive. But I just want to acknowledge that my Sin nature, though defeated, is not deleted. Right. And therefore, I can be, but I, I won't be. That's not an excuse. It's a reality. And I don't want us to make, it, make that an excuse that um, I can't, or, or that... That that's why I don't. Uh, I appreciate that. What I love about the question is, uh, it, uh, John 14 calls my heart to aspire, live in relationship with Jesus like Jesus lived in relationship with the Father. The God, Jesus, wrapped in my humanity as God was wrapped in humanity in Jesus to do that. So, uh, yes, I want to live that way I want to aspire to live in that relationship like Jesus did. Makes sense? It does. And that aspiration, I think, is the key part of that. And when you look at the communication and the prayer life like that Christ had with the Father, you know, that intimate conversation and relationship, that's where that example, I think, really applies. And not just because sometimes we we go, the prayer life, oh, that was when he went went away and prayed by himself. Well, that was certainly a part of it. But First Thess 5 says, pray without ceasing, right. because I, I can't get my, I'm not going to get my full agenda of, of every minute of the day in a prayer time with the Lord. I'm going to, what am I going to do in that time? Uh, using the language, I'm going to seek to be zealous, mm-hmm. a mindset, uh, an expectancy for the day of what the Lord would have for me, a refining, if you will, of my attentiveness to the Lord so that relationship, yeah, throughout every minute of every day is the goal. Because Jesus spent his days doing good works, blessing people. Absolutely. Uh, well, next question here. How do you evaluate multiple opportunities for good works but have limited time? Yeah, fair question. Uh, again, Jesus had limited time. He lived within the constraints of humanity. He got tired. He needed to eat. He needed to rest. He had limited minutes. So uh, maybe I should have waited to what I said till that question right there. There's a great example of how do you do that in Mark 1 where Jesus has spent the night before healing people who are lined up at his um, Peter and Peter's mother-in-law's house, and he's healing and doing tons of good work. And so the assumption would be if we had good works going on till late into the night and I had to put an end to it, mm-hmm. then what are you obviously going to do the next day? Well, I'm going to start where I start. I'm going to start where I stopped last night. Jesus uh, gets up, goes and prays by himself. The disciples sleep in. 
and, and not being rude to them. I mean, they were probably tired, and so they right. they slept sure. in. He got up, and when the two meet, they go, Jesus, we've been looking for you. People are looking for you. There's good works to be done. That's a little bit of a paraphrase, but that's the point. And Jesus says, no, we have other places to go. Mm. And so I think, though it doesn't say that explicitly in the text, I think very much implied this is not a long bridge to build, implied in the text is he spent time with the Father, and the Father uh, directed him in terms of not these good works here, but good works elsewhere. So to a person who has limited time, which we all do, I would say, and not a throwaway, pray about it. Uh, Number two, ask yourself, do some line up more with the gifts that God has given me? That's a good question. Third, uh, ask someone, a godly counselor, in mm-hmm. terms of a friend. So ask your family group, ask your spouse if you're married to go, uh, I have these three options. Where do you think, uh, from your perspective, it'd be best for me to use my minutes? So listen to the Lord. Uh, look at how he's made you, listen to other folks. And obviously you can ask yourself um, to the best that you know, what makes, this would be the fourth thing, what makes the greatest kingdom of God impact? Mm. Um, I get, as everybody does, you get letters in the mail all the time from worthy, uh, sometimes ministries, and sometimes non-ministries, but social things, worthy uh, organizations that are trying to help. One of the first things I'm going to ask the question is, is this an organization that is doing good, but not for the kingdom of God? Is this an organization doing good for the kingdom of God? That's going to become a stack. And that mm-hmm. stack's always going to get priority over the other stack. So uh, I'd probably start with that one, which is most to the best that you know, impactful in the kingdom of God. See where your gifts are, pray about it, and invite counselors, those four. I think those are great steps to walk through. Yeah, th- and they can be very practical. Don't let the uh, amount of options to have you do nothing. Right. Easy to, to do. To step back. So you yes. mentioned that earlier, and I wrote the follow through. Yeah. When you're talking about the follow through and the um, when we have opportunities and thinking about it, the follow through can be sometimes the hardest part. Yes. So we've been given the direction, then okay, now I've got to step forward in it. Yeah. It can be hard. And in fairness, I think it was hard for Jesus. What did mm. he say? John chapter twelve, verse twenty-seven. My my soul's troubled. But not my will, your will be done. Glorify yourself. But he acknowledges when he looked at what the Lord had for him, the cross taking the sin of all people on, you know, he sweat, sweated blood, uh, his heart was troubled, didn't stop him from obeying, but the follow through there will often require some willingness to go. I don't feel like it. Uh, this isn't always convenient. We don't get to do good works when they're convenient and when we feel like them. Right. That's a good reminder. <laughs> who would ever go to the cross? Or who would ever take up their cross if it was convenient and at a good time? Right. 
Um, so next question here. When I think good works, I think kingdom building things. Yeah. Does God prepare good works for us even when we are in trials or doing or sorry, going through difficult or hard things? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, what's a good work in the midst of trial? Well, the scripture says, rejoice in the Lord always. In everything, give thanks. So that is a good work in the midst of a trial. Hmm. Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or complaining. The, the, the idea that two words there, it's not repetitious. It's one inward because we can groan and complain inside and then we can grumble on the out. So a good work is that I don't get on the complain train uh, when things are hard. Those are good works because why? People see those things. They do. I would, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Matthew five sixteen. Uh, do your good works so that people see them and glorify your Father in heaven. And Philippians two, do all things without grumbling or complaining, so that you will shine like the stars in the uh, dark and corrupt world. So both of them are light. One by an action, one by an inaction, and not grumbling, but giving thanks. Uh, obeying the Lord in the midst of difficulty, that's a good work. So I don't think there are less good works the Lord has. It's not like, uh, get out of your trial and then start doing good works. Right. Frankly, non-biblical uh, motivation is often, hey, if you're having a hard time, get out of yourself and help somebody else will help you. Uh, that's not even uh, necessarily straight out of the Scripture. Scripture says we do good things, whether we feel like it or not, whether we're in a good time. Or this, Tracy, I think sometimes we think, uh, well, I'm struggling in a particular sin area in my life, and I can't really do good works until I clean up the sin in my life. As mm-hmm. if good works are only what God has prepared for us when my life is pure and easy. Well, if that's true, then I'm never, I'm never getting any good work because <laughs> I'm always going to be wrestling with sin issues in my right. life, and I'm always going to be in some sort of trial, some obviously much greater than others. So sure. I appreciate the question. Don't allow sin issues or trials to keep you from doing good. And I think it's a great reminder and emphasis, others see you. It becomes part of your testimony, your obedience to the Lord, and the way you're yeah. carrying yourself in those trials, mm-hmm. um, the way you're responding to other people's, people's, people's. good heavens, um, the, way, <laughs> the way you're responding to other people um, can then be a kingdom-building opportunity, as in the question, to yeah. share Christ, that it's only through Christ that you're able to speak in love and to uh-huh. still love this person or to forgive this, whatever the situation may be. Um, it can be a great opportunity for kingdom building with yeah. relationship with other people. I think, um, I think we should be very clear that ultimately uh, a person can't come to Christ without hearing the gospel. Right. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So they have to hear the gospel. But never dismiss the power and the value of the good works that plow the ground and prepare the soil for then the seed of the gospel to be planted. If, 
if we're not doing good and we're just spouting the gospel, nobody's interested. Right. I don't want to be that guy in my neighborhood that never is helping Mm. and being involved, just kind of the preacher that lives on the street that talks. I don't want to be that guy, and I don't think Jesus wants any of us to be that guy. Well, it's being the hands and feet of Christ, and through the BLESS initiative that we've been doing as a a body here at CFC, so if you're not familiar with it, you can find it on our website, but um, loving, so praying, listening to, eating with, serving our neighbors to then build relationships with them, it all goes together to be able to build those relationships and have that example of Christ in Mm -hmm. our neighborhoods. I think it's really encouraging. So those are all of our questions this morning. Do you have anything else that you would like to wrap up with or um, leave us with this morning? Uh, Two thoughts I've had that um, I hope people, well, maybe three, but I'll make them quick. (laughs) One, the last thing I wanted this morning was people to feel under a guilty pile. I'm supposed to be doing good works. Mm. I want I want you to feel, um, feel to know and feel that you have been made for good works. It's not something you have to go dutifully accomplish. It's what you were made for. You're going to find life, and you're going to find joy, and you're going to find fulfillment in the good works. So not guilt-driven, life-driven, number one. Uh, number two— the reality of, and this brings the sobering part of its life-giving, but 2 Corinthians 4 says, uh, Paul says, always caring about the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus would be made manifest in our mortal flesh. And the reality of the fact that I think we all would like for the life of Jesus to be manifest, that people go, yes, I experienced Jesus through you. Sure, Absolutely. But what's so powerful in that text, 2 Corinthians, is that life follows death. So the life of Jesus is not going to be made manifest until the dying of Jesus. And what was the dying of Jesus? The dying of Jesus to self, Mm -hmm. the dying of Jesus to his own kingdom, the dying of Jesus to doing what was convenient or comfortable. My heart is troubled. My soul is troubled. I'm sweating blood. Going to the cross, resurrection life only follows the crucified life. And so uh, the reality is good works is where we're going to find life, but good works aren't going to happen if we're looking for them apart from the need to die. So don't be freaked out by that. Just acknowledge the doorway to good to life and good works is in dying. Third, uh, third thought. I think we sometimes wrestle with this question of how do we engage with our neighbors without them becoming projects? I get this question a lot. Yeah, I don't want them to just think I'm a project or am I just a project? Is is our neighbor a project? My neighbor is a project is if I only engage with them— to, accomplish, to get them to do something, mm-hmm. then that's a project. But if I believe I live where God has planted me, 
and they live where God has planted them, then I believe my neighbors are sovereign appointments. And if I believe they're sovereign appointments, then I think God has placed us there to have relationship, to engage with, to stop, to talk with, to to go, hey, come on over and let's enjoy a drink together, to let's hang out on the back porch for for me to see them on their back porch and go, I'm going to walk over there and just maybe uninvited, but just go chat with them. and share life. Yeah, Yeah. and then I'll sit down. And at times I'm like, I got stuff I want to do, but yeah, let me sit down. And and to be able to see, hey, can I help you with that? I I remember when I felt like years ago when my neighbors were projects, and it was because I didn't really have a sense that I wanted relationship with them. I felt this obligation for them to do something, Hmm. for me to get them to do something. Okay. And uh, therefore, I only interacted with them, not for relationship purposes, but for a accomplishing something. And once I got past that, they're just the people God has placed around me, of uh, which I want to have a relationship, not a project. And I don't think I, think, I think some, because they've experienced this from believers, some people are skeptical that maybe they're a project, build relationship that extends beyond whether um, they do what we hope they do and will prove that they're not a project. Great, a great moment for Jackie. Uh, building a relationship with a neighbor who said, I'm not a believer. And Jackie very quickly went, that's okay. I still like you. <laughs> right. I think that was a, hey, I don't think it was being asked, but I think that so is this relationship based on the fact that you're going to, that I have to become something that you want me to become? No, I still like you. Mm, yeah. That's when we move from project to relationship. So if you've been wrestling with that, uh, I hope you'll go, I don't need them to do something. I, I want to be something to them. And then that work of them making a decision or not, that's the Lord's work. Very freeing. Yes. Very encouraging. Yeah. And what a blessing to be able to have neighbors to build relationships yes, with. Yes, it is. It's, a, it's life. It really is. It's sharing life. So thank you so much for joining us for Q&A. We hope you have an awesome day.